You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and you're just moments away from listening to one of our sermon exhortations, and we're super glad that you made that decision today. And we hope that as you kind of march forward with us in this sermon, that you feel the love of God every moment that the sermon goes forth. Here at RCC, we really try to take the Word of God radically faithfully. We, we look at the Scripture, and then we talk about the Scripture, and we seek to apply it to our lives. And there's times where things in Scripture is pleasant and pleasing, and they make us excited and, and, and pumped up. But there's times in, in Scripture where things that God's saying is difficult, and it's challenging, and sometimes it can even feel stressful and overwhelming. But we have to remember that as a people of God, that everything that God calls us to do in Scripture, He equips us to do. That He doesn't call us to do things from a deficit position, but from a power, spirit-filled position. And so I want you to remember, as we track forward in today's sermon, that God has given you everything that you need to be who He's called you to be. And that is good news. Grace and peace. It's our last dance in Ephesians. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do. Man, I love saying that. Let's open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. And we're going to be all in this chapter 6 in just a little bit as we land our Ephesians series titled Our Story Moving into God's Story. I want to remind you that this series has been for over a year and a half all about discovering who God is and what, therefore, who we are in light of, of Christ. Now, last week in part 36 of this series titled Readying for Battle in the Christian War, segment B, Get Armored Up, we learned that we are in a roar, right? Whether we like it or not, we're in an incredibly bloody, soul-snatching war. And we learned that Satan has our name, and he has our rank, and he has our number, and he knows our home address, and he knows our family intimately, and that he is a very real adversary. We learned that Satan is coming against us with different insidious, specifically constructed methods of attacks aimed at destroying our lives here on earth and, and ultimately in eternity. And we learned that the world is just wickedly worsening, right? It's just getting, it's getting bad and therefore we need to war up. We got to suit up. We got to put our armor on to be God's witnesses. We learn that when it comes to spiritual warfare, we, we don't want to get stuck overemphasizing things and over-spiritualizing things because it takes our eyes completely off track of God's word. And as a result, when that happens, Satan smiles and he starts belly laughing and he fades into the background. And, and when he does that, we start focusing, folks, right? We learn that. We start focusing on the meaningless and we become totally open to his fiery darts and he takes the kill shot. Bang! And he connects every time. But we also learn that when we get stuck under-emphasizing things and under-spiritualizing things and we ignore and we neglect and we distract ourselves from what God's Word really has to say about who He is and who our opponent is and who our adversary is, Satan smiles the same way and he fades into the background. He takes the kill shot, bang, and he connects 
every single time. We learn that the trials of life that God allows for us to go through, the ones that are kind of making us deal with resistance and pain and, and frustration, folks, in Christ, we learn that they all can produce beauty and growth for our lives and for others, and ultimately for the glory of God when we submit onto the Lord. And, and finally, we learn that Satan is big. He's really big, but he's, but he's not too big. He's not bigger than our God, but he's most definitely bigger than us, right? He's, he's a bigger problem than we have a solution for, and he's a bigger problem than we have the ability to handle on our own, and that's why we really do need to be Folks, we've got to be armored up. And, and that brings us to today, part 37 our, of our Ephesians series, titled Our Destiny, which is to be armored up and standing victorious with the love that's incorruptible. Like, like can you believe it? Today, we're, in, we're concluding the Ephesians series. We launched, folks. On September 22nd of 2019, and, and today marks a drop-in moment in the history books of Redemption City Church as we complete our very first book study from cover to cover. And I don't know about you, but, but this letter from Paul has been so good and so productive for my life. And, and it makes me so excited about what God has for our church, right? Like in future series, just think about it. Like if we've gained this much from the book of Ephesians and we've been able to camp out for over a year and a half and the letter is only six pages long, what does that mean as we prepare with excitement for the next place that God takes us in the word of God? And, and so indeed, this is the end. It's seriously almost over. We're doing that today. You see, Paul, Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he knows people are going to be trying to live their lives and go to work and love their families and pay their bills. But, but here's what else Paul also knows. He also knows that they're going to be attacked. He also knows that they're going to be hunted down. And he also knows that the people in Ephesus are ultimately... They're ultimately going to die. And so, and so Paul gives the church in Ephesus this God-inspired letter so they can learn how to do it all right, how to, how to live right and do their families right and do their bills right and do life right and even to do, to do death right. And, and what I mean is he wanted to equip the church to first know how to sit, right? How to, how to sit and know who God is and, and what God's done and what God is ultimately continuing to do. And he wanted people to sit, right? We talked about this, this concept of sitting. He wanted the people to sit and understand the magnitude, the sheer magnitude of what Jesus' blood-bought sacrifice on the cross cross really meant regarding what God has, has ultimately done. It, the, the cross represents the embodiment, folks, of what God has done. Because Jesus' death, his, his burial, and his victorious resurrection from the dead, by the way, because he, because he descended into hell and, and let a host of captives free and, and rose from the grave, being the conquering king that he is, man, because he came out lavishing gifts, 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 gifts to everyone, because of all that, in that moment, we all gained access to the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. Oh man, when that happened, things got things got legit. Folks, we gained access by faith to, to, to sit and to rest and to rejoice and to lift our hands and to nourish every part and every crevice of our soul with the good news that we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and equipped and sealed and forever wealthy, praise Christ. And, and that means everything, doesn't it? Because these seven blessings provide the sevenfold fuel for us to know with radical confidence that we aren't worthless. 
oh, that's good news, that, that we have value and, and dignity and, and purpose in God, even beyond our mistakes and our shortcomings and our insecurities in life, that in Christ we get to be so secure and so steady and so stable in our regenerated identity and purpose that's ultimately found in God, folks. Therefore, we're able to heal and grow and work out from the great lie that we're second-class citizens, right? We, we talked about that illustration in the beginning of the book of Ephesians about the Gauls, and, and it was so legit as that even these historical Gauls got to step into the powerful truth of God's redemption as well, because even the Gauls got to step into a new identity in Christ. So, so no matter what happened to them historically, and no matter what we go through presently in the earth realm, we have an eternal security and a resting place now, folks, with God in heaven. That's what it means to sit, and, and that really is Paul's focus in chapters 1 through 3. We're going to bring the whole book together today, and so that was his focus in chapter chapters 1 through 3, namely to remind the church of its foundational power source in Jesus to find our identity, right, in God, so we can just simply sit, so we can sit, folks, and rest in who we are in God, to, to relish and to trust and to cherish our eternal standing with God to a way where we know radically in our hearts and in our heads that we are fully and totally and categorically accepted because Jesus has fully atoned it all. This is good news. Paul's urging you and, and me to understand the fact that there is absolutely no more gaps Oh man, and that is so critical because it sets us up to believe that indeed we are free from moving from sitting to ultimately walking, folks. I'm going to say that again. It's so critical that we know that we are radically and totally accepted by Jesus because that sets us up to believe that indeed we are radically free to move from sitting in those seven blessings radically secure in God to begin to now walk. And, and to walk as a confident, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, Christ-submitting Christian. And, and we learn that the first real big idea that, that Paul presents after we really understand how to sit as a Christian is for us to learn how to walk in unity. That's the first way we learn how to walk. We learn how to walk in unity and, and not to be so divisive anymore as a people. Do you remember that earlier? In Ephesians, that's really what Ephesians chapter 4 starts to transition us into, and we learn about walking in unity. It's where we're challenged to walk in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love and being eager, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Remember that? We have that eager challenge, right? And, and it's where we learn that there's one body and one Spirit and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father, Overall, and because of that, we are challenged at this point in the text to no longer walk like an ain't, but to start walking like the saints that we are, sanctified in God, redeemed in God. We're not an ain't, folks, anymore. We are radically activated to be a saint. We were warned against our old man's habit of being callous in chapter 4, and we're urged to walk in unity together forever in a new life with Christ. But but that's just the first step that we learned about walking, right? Because then Paul challenges us because God is inspiring him to to teach us that we need to now walk in purity. So we walk in unity, but now we're being called to walk 
in purity. You see, because we tapped out and we looked up and we linked in, and, and by the way, we linked into Christ because he has the power, or in other words, because we have complete access now to these seven identifiable blessings of God, Paul now encourages us as believers to know that we have everything, everything we radically need to walk, not only in unity, folks, but now we have what we need to walk in purity. That, that's really what's happening towards the end of chapter 4 as we march all the way into chapter 5 up to about verse 18. That's what it's communicating. It's, it's where we learn that we need to not let corrupt talk come out of our mouth, right? Don't, don't, don't talk like that, but instead we need to be imitators of God as his beloved children. That's where, how it opens up in chapter 5. It's, it's where we learn that there are things that we should do and there's things that we should not do. We talked about that, the postcard of the shoulds and the should nots of the Christian life, right? God says, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this, but go do that and go do that. And, and all of this is coming from our sitting posture with God. Oh man, and it gives us perspective now of who we're called to be in Christ. So, so walking in purity means we are to flee from sexual immorality and impurity and and covetousness and filthy talking and foolish talking and crude joking and empty words of deception. But but walking in purity also means from the from the positive effect that we are now called to walk radically as children of a light, trying to discern what is pleasing, pleasing pleasing to the Lord, right? God inspires Paul to, to really exhort to us to now walk in purity by being awakened, right? We got to awake, oh, oh, sleeper. Remember that chapter five, part 24, awake, oh, sleeper from our slumber and to step into radical fruitiness in our lives. Folks, he calls us to be fruity, right? The fruit, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit is where we see God activate in our lives. And it's made possible because we're children, folks. We're now children of the light. Because when we walk as children of light and we get to do that, and our Christ-centered headlights come on, remember that? And they and we and we see now and we're turned on and we start to look carefully or or circumspectly with a 360-degree circumventral view at what the enemy is trying to do and all the trappings that he has for us. When we start to do that and we become radical and happy, joyful ambassadors of the kingdom who are intent on redeeming the time, we are set up to make the best use of the time using the eras and the seasons of our life, and we start purifying them with great godly intentionality. Oh man, do you see the book coming together? Because what, but, but, but check this out, but what I love so much about our Heavenly Father is that He knows us as His beloved children intimately. Therefore, He knows that we are all massively, folks, we're massively forgetful creatures. And, and always remember that because even the children of Israel were quick to forget how much God indeed was for them and in them and all around them because right after he delivered them from being captives in Egypt from the Pharaoh, they, they already had forgotten not long after being set free, that God indeed was going to provide for them. And, and, and we have to remember that he's not going anywhere. And I love that about, about God. He's constantly weaving through Scripture and throughout history gentle and dramatic reminders 
that he's going to be present and that he's going to be with us every single moment. He's so secure, he's so steady, and he's so stable. Praise God. Because right when spiritual amnesia begins to set in regarding everything we've learned through chapters one through three, right? This has been a long series. Right when we start to get that spiritual amnesia and we forget our knowing and our resting and our sitting posture, and we forget that we're chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and sealed and forever wealthy, right when we begin to be forgetful creatures, getting lost and overwhelmed, trying to walk out all this unity and purity and all these commands, go do this and go do that, right when that happens, God inspires Paul to throw a softball reminder right at us that all of this is to be done, not in our strength, but from a spirit-filled position. And remember, being spirit-filled means to be fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time. We learn that in Ephesians 5 verse 18, and it's about putting Christ in the middle of, of everything we're doing because it's about his power, folks. We don't have the power on our own. It's about submitting to Christ, folks, and not to our own feelings because being spirit-filled is all about receiving power, right, from the Holy Spirit to do that which we couldn't do on our own. That God's acknowledging that he's calling us to do things that we can't do. That's what it means to live in Christ. It's to acknowledge that, hey, now that I'm spirit-filled, I have the power to do things that I, that I couldn't do on my own and, and things that I didn't want to do in the first place. And, and with that reminder, Paul calls us to swing the bat at learning now how to walk in harmony. Are you seeing this? First, he wants us to walk in unity. Then he calls us to walk in purity. And then he starts to get into this, the, really the hardest thing, which is to walk to walk in harmony. So, so because we are spirit-filled Christians who have the blessings of God on our lives, we're now called to submit to one another in the various roles and the various responsibilities that God has given us within our lives. And, and we camped out about that because we, we really do need to be spirit-filled for all of that to be done from a right and a godly disposition. And, and because we are radically secure in Christ, and we are, and because he has chosen us and, and he's adopted us to be heirs of his kingdom, which blows my mind every time I think about that, and because we are sealed and forever wealthy, folks, we are released to be free to not have to fight anymore for our own rights. We don't need to do that. God's taking care of it all. We can radically and authentically submit onto one another with God in the picture and Jesus as the target. So, so walking in harmony is this beautiful godly invasion of God's designs and his intentionality permeating all around a vast amount of darkness within a culture, folks, that's gone absolutely bonkers. Walking in harmony is God's remedy to humanity that is looking in all the wrong places for ways to increase their peace and to maximize their joy. So, so really chapters 5 verse 20 all the way to chapter 6 verse 9, we're, we're really learning about what it means to walk in harmony because it's this beautiful rhythmic dance of God's people in total balance and godly cohesiveness where each person, folks, is receiving everything they need. Remember that? When we step in and we submit to God's design, everybody gets taken care of and everybody gets what they need. Now, now, I just want everybody to close their eyes right now. Come on, do it. I want everybody to close their eyes, and I want you just to just imagine the Spirit-filled life according to Scripture if we all 
submitted to that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of paint out this joyful scene of God's design for us. So so really, right now, I need you to I need you to close your eyes for the next three or four minutes, and I'll I'll let you know when I want you to open them. But but track with me through here. Okay, imagine imagine God's design. So so you have wives. You got wives tap dancing as they eagerly respect and submit and cherish their own husband as unto the Lord, and they're just laughing and creating memories, and they're and these women are they're joyful, and it's where husbands are electric sliding right right across the living room as they live out with love and protection and and provision and cherishing their own wives, and they step radically into who God's called them to be as Christ does for the church. And it's where you see husbands while all this dancing is going on, learning to sing Rama over their whole family, their wife and their children at this party, blessing both their wife and their children and effectively building them up in Christ. It's where you see children and they're squiggling around in the room right between mommy and daddy and they're doing the worm with radical obedience and honor towards their parents. And folks, they're just totally protected. They're safe. And they're, they're secured. It's where mom and dads, even though they're dancing and the kids are doing the worm, they, they leave the home even though the party's awesome and they take the party to work. Are you kidding me? And they're skipping and they're doing the marenga, right? And they're working with great diligence for their employer, knowing that it all counts. The big things, the cosmic things, and the little itsy-bitsy atom-like things, it all counts how they serve because it's all on to the Lord. It's where the employer is salsa dancing with great humility and compassion as the authority figure over all the people that God has entrusted under him or her. And, and, and finally, it's where you see joy-filled dancing families colliding together. It's legit. And we call it the church and they're rocking the night away, folks, as they worship the God of the universe. Folks, this is the beginning picture of God's design for our destiny in eternity with Him forever. Hold all that in your mind right now. It's a it's a sneak peek at the kingdom of heaven and what it's going to be like because it's going to be the greatest party and the greatest banquet ever. Okay, you can you can open your eyes now as we step back into this sermon because I need eyes up here with your mind so clear eyes up here with your mind so clear. Like, can't you see? Walking in harmony is not a punishment. No, no, it's not a burden. It's it's not a burden. It's a massive, it's a massive blessing. It's for our radical benefit. It's not for our bad. It's about trusting in our identity in Christ to the point of submitting to him and therefore onto others. It's about walking in new activities that lead to a beautiful new destiny, and it all originates out of our regenerated, new, transformed identity. And, and as amazing as life can be when we're walking in harmony and we're, excuse me, walking in unity and we're walking in purity and we're walking in harmony, Paul reminds us that all of it is to be aimed towards eternity. It's all in light of eternity, and it's also impossible without Jesus. And, and so God instructs Paul to inform us that we cannot get into this legit dance party where the salsa is going on and we're dancing and having all the fun apart from Jesus, the true vine. And Jesus said it best himself in John uh, chapter 15 when he says, apart from me, you could do nothing. I mean, he leans in and says, we can do absolutely nothing. Yet, yet here's the promise though. Yet if we abide in him and his word abides in us, he promises us that he's going to equip us and empower us to do all the things that he's calling us 
to do. And he also promises us that we're going to be people of much fruit. Folks, I don't know about you. I just want to be fruity, bearing fruit in my relationships, in my roles, in the community, and in everything that I touch. Okay, so so with this beautiful exhortation to move from, from our story, are you getting the title of this series, into God's story, or, or moving out of our weakness into God's strength, Paul starts to land the plane by telling the church, finally, in chapter 6, verse 10. Okay, okay, so he says, finally, when that part happens, it's a big old transition crescendo moment. He's saying, finally, like, like, like now that you know who God is and what God's done and what God's provided, and now that you know how to sit and to rest in God's strength and in, and, and in that secure stability of those seven identifiable blessings, now that you have a radically new and radically improved identity that empowers you to walk with all these new activities of the spirit-filled fruit-bearing life, now that you know how to walk in unity and purity and harmony so you can increase your peace and maximize your joy while you're here on earth, you must finally, you got you to know finally how to stand. Folks, that's what he's saying. Finally, you got to know how to stand in in victory because because remember folks this series was always about learning how to sit with god walk with jesus and stand radically firm in the faith with the armor of god and you still may be a little confused and you might be saying to yourself uh what exactly does it really mean to stand firm in in my faith and and what am i really protecting with the armor of god okay so here it is i'm gonna make it i want to make this simple but yet it's so profound here's here's what you're doing you're standing firm in your faith about the sitting and the restful seven identifiable blessings of the triune god and you're standing restful knowing that you have power you have power now you are equipped to walk in unity to to walk in purity and to walk folks in harmony that's that's what he's telling you to stand for you're you're standing firm in your faith that you get vip access to the dance party of the christian life where you get to gladly submit to one another everyone's taken care of within the various roles and the responsibilities that are given to you by the god of the universe you you are standing finally stand on what you need armor for what man you're standing firm in your faith that god is with you that he's for you that he's all around you powerfully guiding you all the way to eternity he hasn't left you on your own you are standing radically firm in your faith that the holy spirit really has given you power he's equipped you to do that which you couldn't do before on your own and you're standing firm in your faith that he is regularly transforming you to begin to have affections for things you never wanted to do in the first place and finally hey lean in finally you're standing firm in your faith that you get to be you simply yet supernaturally yourself you don't have to be nobody else for the rest of your life here on earth and ultimately in eternity. And essentially, standing in victory means to not fall for every single thing that Satan throws your way, but instead to stand firm against that, against that pressure. It means to be armored up. 
with godly defense and offensive strategies detailed in verses 13 through 20 of chapter 6. We're going to get into that more today. It means to stop imploding on one another. i got to stop fighting you, and you got to stop fighting me. And instead of recognize that our real enemy is trying to sneak around fading into the background, and it means to finally shine light directly at his ugly, wicked face, unified together as the people of God, harmonious in our rules, submitting our purity with godly confidence and ferocious intent, saying, go to hell, Satan. Victory is the Lord's. And, and so standing is not necessarily a call to go demon hunting and sin sniffing or engaging in combat war all the time but but instead really in a world that's filled with a vast amount of darkness it's just a call to be the light folks that's what it means to stand in victory and to bear much fruit along the way it's it's just a call to live a very normal yet redemptive life being the best you that you can possibly be. Not the best me or the best them or the best her or the best or the best he, but the best you that you can ultimately, that you can ultimately be. To be a better you than you've ever been before, which which just means to be better today, right? To be better today than you were yesterday. Oh man, and to establish that as a pattern for your life. And so Paul wants to remind you and he wants to remind me that this is all supposed to happen in a very normal folks it's supposed to happen in a very normal way it's it's not about walking on water and healing people from diseases all the time that's not what it's about instead it's about being focused on jesus everywhere and all the time that's what the spirit-filled life is all about and and it's about always knowing that there's an enemy that's firing a absurd amount of darts our way and he's trying to destroy our lives we got to wake up to that because it's in the normalcy of life. Hey, hey, listen. It's in the normalcy of life. It's, when the, it's within the everyday battles of life. It's, when the, it's, it's within the battle of, of marriage and all the relational complexities of spousal wants and needs and demands. It's within the battle of parenting and, and disciplining and, and encouraging and not provoking your children to wrath. It's, in, it's within the, the battle of working humbly onto your employer and your employer not lording his authority disproportionately over you. It's, it's within the battle of pastoring a church faithfully and that church submitting their families rightly onto the Lord. And, and before you start so summarily just dismiss what I'm saying and say, that's not a spiritual warfare. That's just normal life and normal complexities of our situations. And before you say to yourself, a satanic attack is when uh, a person's head uh, turns around 360 degrees and they start having all these weird noises and you need an exorcism. Hey, before you start to do all that, I just want you to, to know as we, as we move forward that the most dangerous spiritual attacks according to scripture are going to occur in the normalcy, folks, in the normalcy of life. And that's why Paul addresses spiritual warfare right after this whole conversation of normal living. I want you to understand the context of the Bible because it's within the normalcy of your life that Satan takes his kill shots. Okay, so let me just throw myself radically under the bus right now and use myself as 
As an example, there was this time about a year ago when, when I had came home and, and I came upstairs. And so the rules here at the Rochelle family is that we eat at the kitchen table. Maybe it extends a little bit beyond that, but we don't take food upstairs. It's a big thing for dad because we don't want ants. And I get really upset about that. And so I come home and I walk upstairs and I see the kids having ice cream and, and popcorn. And they're upstairs watching a movie and I'm upset. And I go to Aiden and Aubrey and I'm, and I'm coming in with a type of intensity, a disproportionate intensity. I'm like, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And they're like, oh, dad, mom said we could. And, and I was jumping to conclusions. And then I went to go find Jillian and she was in the bathroom. And then I'm, I'm a, coming to her and I'm accusing her. I'm like, why are you doing this? This is not our man. I need you to help me, babe, and to help me um, with the kids. And, and it, you're giving a double standard. And I do this whole thing. And then Jillian, she just waits for me to finish. And she just says, "Hun, I, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to not walk out. I know this is important to you, but I knew that you had a long day. I knew that you had a lot more work to do tonight. And I was trying to be considerate of you, so I moved the kids upstairs so you would have the bottom stairs, so you would have a little alone time because I really felt you needed it. And so I just moved everything upstairs. And and I know that's not our conviction. And she just lays it out. And folks, my my heart was crushed in that moment. And I and I and I and I apologized to her. And 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 listen." <laughs> And let me tell you what, it was in the normalcy of that moment, the normalcy of it, that Satan was shooting shots at me. He was shooting at me and distracting me and, and confusing me. And, and ultimately, I wasn't thinking and I wasn't operating like a spirit-filled man of God. Folks, I wasn't armored up. I want you to understand the spiritual warfare. I, uh, but when I chose to repent and I saw what was happening and, 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 I, and I asked my, my wife for forgiveness and I asked my children for forgiveness, I activated my armor again and I, and I activated my defense of strategy. I, I armored up and I overcame Satan's plan to, to use me as a, as a vehicle and as a weapon to provoke my, my children to wrath and, and to not be an accuser of my wife's intention. And I said, no, no, no. I, I, I'm not going to act like the old Brandon. I, I'm not going to allow Satan's plan to take root in me. I, I'm seeing what's happening right here. I got to get back on track. I got to be quick to repent and I got to work to redeem the time that I've taken from my wife and my children in my weakness. Are, are you seeing this very normal moment? So, so check this out. So how many days and weeks and months and years have gone by in your own marriage, where, where you've been in conflict, and you told yourself, ah, oh, he just doesn't understand me. My husband doesn't get me. What's wrong with him? Or, or, or if you're the husband, you're like, man, I just don't know how to communicate to my wife. She just won't, she just won't get it. Or, or maybe you have a tough kid at home. Maybe he's just a tough kid, or she's a tough kid that you're raising, and you just want to pull your hair out sometimes because of the great difficulty you're experiencing with him or her. Or, or maybe it's some inherent character problem that, that, that keeps coming up over and over and over again with your with your child or maybe it's not your child's fault at all maybe they struggle with some form of disability or disease or mental condition and you're just you're just worn out or you're just tired uh, even though you know it's not their fault but but no matter what the reason is there's I want you to know and, and Paul's trying to communicate and God is inspiring us to know there's something deeper going on there's a spiritual war going on aimed at dividing the harmony in our roles. And, and as your pastor, I want you to know that once you know that, once we all get to know that, our responsibility from that point is to find the middle ground road of biblical truth about this whole concept 
of spiritual warfare. It's about recognizing that you and me are spiritual beings having a very human experience that often feels only earthly. But folks, it's most definitely spiritual, and it's, it's temporary. It'll end one day, but it's a very real war that we're currently in. So, so as a Christian, when the lights turn on and you walk radically in the light, as you draw near to Jesus and Jesus draws near to you, Satan just flees and he evaporates away. I'm going to say that again. Hey, as you draw near to Jesus with the Christ-centered headlights on and Jesus draws near to you, the way the war works when that happens is that Satan, he doesn't fight. He's not strong. He evaporates. He fades away. And it's a very spiritual thing, even though it feels very normal. And I just want you to see this in real life. I want you to take something away today that's so helpful and so practical for your life. Because when you use the wrong voice towards your spouse or your kids, and you want to, you just want to get to the point where you're like, oh no, oh no, what am I, what am I doing right now? I, I just got shot at with a fiery dart from Satan. I want you to start to recognize that and say that, oh man, Satan just shot a fiery dart of impatience or, or distraction my way. I almost allow myself to be destroyed in this moment and to become a destroyer of the people that I love the most. Oh, okay. Uh-uh. I'm going to pull back. It's time to armor up to activate my defensive strategy, and I'm going to win this battle. That's, folks, is how we walk and we stand in victory in a very spiritual war and the normalcy of our lives because it's within the normalcy of these things that the real battle awaits us. Are you tracking with me? Because we have ultimately, listen to me, we have ultimately got to choose either our way or God's way. We either have to stand firm on God's truth that's revealed in scripture, or we're going to be pulled towards Satan's accusations and false narratives about what the good life, <laughs> what the good life really is. And, and that's where faith is required, my brothers and sisters. It's where the helmet is put on. It's where the sword is wielded, and it's where life ultimately happens. Because in a world filled with a very real spiritual war going on with, with demons and principalities and cosmic powers and heavenly places and swords and belts and shoes and helmets and all these things, we must remember the contextual normalcy of God calling us just to be good dads and moms and good husbands and wives and good children and, and good employers and good employees and, and just to be good children of the light. And, and Paul is explaining, and I, and I hope you're starting to get this whole thing, but what Paul is explaining is that while we're trying to do all these normal and good and godly things within our roles, we have an adversary who is shooting bang, 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 fiery darts literally and precisely aimed at those realities. Are you getting this? And, and Satan and his demons are crafting daily methods and schemes to literally oppress you, distract you, and to destroy you from walking out those realities. Okay, so, so what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? We got to armor up. 
and we got to stand against that pressure. So, so God provides his armor so that we can all be his children. And he provides that armor so we can all be who he's called us to be and so we can stand. And, and I want you to know that this armor is the same armor that Jesus used in the wilderness in the Gospels for 40 days and 40 nights when Satan himself was personally shooting fiery darts at him. I, want, I just want you to know that. And I want you to know that in that moment, we don't see in the text that Jesus went around demon hunting and spell cursing and doing all these miracles and performing all this magical realities. Instead, he armored up in a very normal, yet it was spiritual. It was supernatural, but it was a very normal, a very normal way. And, and he did it by activating a complete defensive strategy right? He had it intact, and then he activated an offensive weapon called the sword of the spirit, and we're going to learn about that later. And, and, and I want you to know that Daniel, Daniel used that same armor in the lion's den in the Old Testament. And I want you to know that David used that same armor in the cave with the mighty men when he was tempted because of all that Satan, uh, Saul, was doing to persecute him. And I want you to know that Paul used that same armor every time he was offered freedom if he would only give up God as Lord. And I want you to know that Abraham, oh, Abraham in the Genesis, he used that same armor when he trusted God to go where he didn't even know where he was going. God said, go to this land and go that way, and I'm not telling where you're going. And, and, and Abraham activated that armor. And I want you to know that Mary and Joseph, they used that armor to raise the Messiah. Are you kidding me? They did it all by faith. Did, nobody believed them, but they did it by faith, and they activated that armor. I want you to know that Martin Luther King Jr., he used this armor to respond back to a culture that was tempting him to respond with violence during racial tensions, and instead, he preached unity and harmony and the gospel. And I want you to know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Paul Bunyan and St. Valentine, they used this armor we're talking about when they were being persecuted and imprisoned because of their ferocious work for the kingdom. And no thank you to the modern-day Valentine's Day reality that misses the whole point. And I want you to know that Jim Elliott, he used this armor when he became a martyr for the people in Ecuador when he was doing missionary work for the Harani people. And I want you to know that his wife, Elizabeth, who lost her husband at the young age of 28, she used this armor to continue to trust God despite a radical loss in her life as she made her life about spreading Christian faith despite her great loss. And I want you to know that Billy Graham used that same armor to evangelize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, even though he regularly received death threats because of it. And folks, I want you to know that Jesus himself used that armor again when he was enduring beatings and he was being embarrassed and he was ultimately crucified on our behalf. And if you're tracking with me right now, that should get you fired up right now. That should blow your mind that you and, and me get to partake in the same defensive strategy and offensive strategy. We get access to that armor that they had. Are you kidding me? And let me tell you, family and friends, each one of these pieces of armor are filled with power and perspective and productivity and purpose and immense godly application. Oh man, we could dedicate a sermon literally to each 
piece of this armor individually and we could push this series forward to like part 45 for part 46 easily and it would be fun and it would be really legit and trust me i thought about it and i and i really thought about it but man this this body of mine is tired so so instead we're going to survey each piece of this armor as faithfully and as deeply as we can today because it's our time now to get involved in this Christian war. And I promise, here's my promise today, I promise to pastorally protect us from use, from exploring and studying this whole armor of God out of context. We're not going to do that today. People do that all the time, and it leads to a false understanding contextually of what Paul is really communicating about spiritual warfare on behalf of God here in the text. We're going to be faithful to the text here in Ephesians chapter 6. And, 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 and therefore, I want you to know that we're going to be praying in just a moment against that reality, namely over-spiritualizing things and, and under-spiritualizing things, and we're going to really aim to be down that middle ground road of truth. Therefore, what I want you to know that this is, uh, the first thing I want you to know is that this passage, folks, it's not difficult. It's not overly mystical. Instead, it's, it's check this out, it's very supernatural wisdom that's filled with supernatural energy, a wicked, a, a wicked, a wicked energy from a from a wicked enemy who we are in war against. Okay, so so it's a supernatural wisdom, the text. It's a supernatural wisdom filled with supernatural defensive and offensive strategies made normal by God so that we could fight against a supernatural energy, a wicked energy, willed it by a supernatural enemy who is intent on destroying you and me. That's what this is going to be all about. Okay, so holding all of that intention, let's let's prepare to read God's word now and then folks and then and then we'll pray. Let's let's do that now. And and first it says in the text, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Right? We talked about that. God's reserved power ready to be unleashed. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Not some of it, folks. We need the whole thing. Why? That that you and me would be able to stand against the schemes of the of the devil, right? His methods, he has insidious plans towards us. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We got to get that in our head and in our hearts, folks. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's the second time Paul exhorts that. Folks, we need the whole thing. Why? That you and me may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is what it's going to be about today. How do we stand firm? How how do we become victorious as Christians? Okay, verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, In all circumstances which take up the shield of faith, meaning put it on front, it goes on top of everything. Why? With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Wow, that's really important. We're going to talk about that later. Verse 17, and, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all 
prayer and supplication. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. Okay, so to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. This is what Paul's saying, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And we just can't forget about that fact right here, folks, that Paul is in chains. And then he continues on and says, that I may declare it boldly, namely the gospel, as I ought to speak. Oh man, folks, there's, there's so much here today. Let's, let's get ready to talk about this, this armor. Let's, let's pray. Abba Father, we've we've read your word and, and now we're going to study it and make productive and biblical applications. And I'm just so stoked about that. And I hope that everyone listening is as well. And I, and I pray in Jesus' name that we would just honor your word today, that we would have a radical understanding that we are here to learn from it, to take our cues in life from it. So Lord, I just pray that you would be so pleased with the people in this church and the pastor leading this church as we all submit onto you. And, and, and we all ask in Jesus' name for a more victorious church in the normal things that we're going through right now, that, that we would all see that this, is a, that this is not just physical, but that it's spiritual, that, that we wouldn't be deceived any longer in our marriages and in our families and in our parents and parenting and in our workplace stuff, that, that we would understand that there's an adversary who's trying to fade into the background, but we're not going to let him do that anymore, that, that wherever we are, you're word would illuminate our adversary and more and just as importantly your word would illuminate our power in you we we pray against right now in the name of jesus based upon the authority of scripture empowered by the holy spirit against any over spiritualizing and under spiritualizing in this conversation today may we all walk down the middle ground road of biblical truth today we we thank you in advance for your anointing and i pray that that anointing would fall afresh on me today as your available vessel. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. 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 Right? Let it all be so. Right? Okay, so so in verse 14 it says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Oh man, the truth, the truth, the truth. The truth is so important, folks, for our lives. You see, historically, a soldier would be only ready for battle once he was girded with that belt, right, that he put on in the Roman historical time period. It was his belt that literally held all the pieces of his armor and, most importantly, the long dress that he was wearing. Therefore, being fitted with this belt really did represent that the soldier was now officially ready ready for the war okay so for us the belt of truth is ultimately revealed in the gospel therefore we as the people of god need to be truth speaking gospel bearing people that's what it means for us to be ready for this spiritual war so as we buckle on check this out as we buckle on this this piece of jesus armor we effectively carry out our new identity of living truthfully and not being liars all the time anymore and and when we believe god's truth and display this type of godly characteristics of god's truth we effectively imitate our victorious king hey hey look at me we can't let satan get away anymore with shooting fiery darts 
hearts at what truth is because the belt of truth is our defense against that pressure we we must know that god's truth it, we need, excuse me we must know god's truth in order to radically protect us against our own flesh against the world's deception and against satan's fiery accusations and that's that's what the belt of truth is for folks it's through the belt check this out it's through the belt of truth that we are spiritually grounded and reminded of our sitting posture namely chapters one through three and our identity in christ so 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 the belt of truth is our direct protection to secure the truth of those restful seven identifiable blessings of the triune god let me say it again the belt of truth is literally our direct protection about the whole seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. Okay, so with that being said, here are three ways that we can buckle on our defensive strategy of the belt of truth. Okay, here goes number one. Start your day in the word of God. Hey, hey, lean in. How you start your day is so important to winning the very normal battles, folks, that you're inevitably, inevitably going to face throughout your life. Now, now it doesn't have to be super legalistic, but but literally before you head out into the workplace and into your family and to all your conversations and before you start interacting with a bunch of people saying this and that and and therefore, what would it look like for you and for me to just start the day? with God's word. Like, like even if it was just 10 minutes in the shower or, or, or on your drive to work, on your commute, what if you just steadied your mind on the things of Christ so that hot garbage doesn't come out of your mouth so easily anymore? Okay, okay, here goes number two. Here's the second way we can, we can activate and buckle on this, this, the belt of truth. End your day in the word of God. Just ending your day, folks, and the word of God. Now, now this discipline has, has always been more difficult for me. I'm just going to be honest about that. But what I found is that even a brief moment before bed really can make a huge amount of difference. So, so what if you just opened your Bible just for a little bit and had the things of Christ on your mind before you went to sleep? Like, instead of going to sleep with all your problems and all your concerns and all your wants and all your demands and, and all Satan's fiery accusations that are constantly firing your way, instead of making that your bedtime lullaby, what, what if God and God's word were the last things on your mind? What if God's word was your white noise and your soundscapes? before you went to bed. Okay, here's number three. Hey, memorize specific scripture directly based on specific lies that you're struggling with right now in your life. Oh man, and I can't tell you how much this has been a place of deliverance for, for my life personally. Folks, the Bible is our guidebook for life. It just is. And within life, all of our problems reside. You know that, right? It's, it's within life that we are dealing with all of our problems. But, but did you know that life was not uh, written by anyone else but the creator alone, the God of the universe? It wasn't written by Albert Einstein and, and Charles Darwin. Nope. It wasn't written by self-help books and, and our own opinions and our own feelings. Nope. It was written... It was written by God. And because all of our problems are within life and all of life is written radically by God, no matter what we're struggling with, God has a remedy, folks. 
He has a remedy for our situation within Scripture that will point you and and it will point me in the right direction of truth and healing and redemption from whatever is taking a hold of our lives. And, And you may be thinking right now, Pastor Brandon, I don't know how to find all that stuff in the Bible. It's it's too difficult. It takes me too long to find things in the Bible. I gave up a long time ago. Okay, so here here's my question back to you. Are you ready for this? Lean in. Here's my question back to you. Do you know how to use Google? Do you know how to use Google? Because because most of us are familiar with Google searching things, right? We we Google search our favorite restaurant and we Google search our favorite movie theater time so we can go to the theater. We, we look up the latest information on our celebrity crushes or our right and left wing politics. Okay, so why don't we utilize that same skill set of Google search and Google search that Bible verse. Uh, just type in Bible verse on pain. Bible verse on God's protection. Bible. What does the Bible say about when I'm struggling with my relationship? What if you Google search that and, and what if you utilized it? in that in that way and before you know it the whole computer screen is going to be oozing with the digital belt of truth before your very eyes and it's going to be instantly available for you to activate in the areas that you're struggling in i already know some people are like but pastor brandon but pastor brandon googling bible verses doesn't feel very helpful to me i've i've done it before it doesn't feel very spiritual i don't think it's going to change me okay, okay keep track of me okay well guess what all that Google searching that you're doing, looking up those left and right wing politics and all that Google searching you're doing to watch interviews from your favorite people in Hollywood movies and all that Google searching you're doing to looking up those cooking recipes and game strategies and cheat codes for your PlayStation games. Hey, all that is most definitely changing you. Did you know that? Because the things you're meditating on, the things you're Google searching, the things you're studying, hey, they're coming out of you, folks. They're coming out of you all the time. You, you, whether you know it or, or not, you, you start imitating those speeches from the CNN political groups. And you start imitating those Fox News reports from those political campaigns. And you start imitating that amazing dinner from the cooking channel. So your family goes, wow, mom, what a good meal. Where'd you get that from? And you start imitating those game strategies and cheat codes so you can get past that level in the game, young man, that you didn't know how to get to until you watched it on YouTube and you Google searched it. So, so, so how about we stop lying to our ourselves all the time because God has given you and me the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to be liars anymore. Stop being a weirdo and a liar saying things like that because you are Googling things and it is shaping you and it is impacting you and you're imitating it all the time. So use that Google search and fill your mind with the digital belt of truth and have no more excuses today. Bring your affections to that computer screen for the things folks, for the things of God. Because, because here's the good news. The next time Satan, Satan tries to shoot that fiery dart and accusation your way, you're going to be able to stand because you're armored up with the belt of truth. So we got to know the truth that is revealed in Scripture about our circumstances. So, so let's, all, let's all say we're going to redeem Google and get to work in that way. Okay, so let's keep tracking into the rest of verse 14. And, and verse 14 continues on. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so so what if what if you and what if I what if we all understood this reality? Because this is deep. 
Did you know that there are more verses in the Bible on righteousness than, than there is on faith? I'm just going to say that again. There's more Bible verses on righteousness in Scripture than there is about faith. You can check it out yourself. And, and we all know how important faith is, right? Because Hebrew 11 tells us that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, have faith, that he exists and that he rewards those who seeks him. That's a, that's a Hebrews 11, chapter 6. Okay, so lean in. Yet it is righteousness, not faith. Oh man, this is going to be big. It is righteousness, not faith, that Jesus primarily came to give us. Did you know that? It's, it's often referred to as the great exchange, folks. Namely, Jesus taking our sins and giving us his righteousness. He, he takes our sin, and he offers us his righteousness. Oh man, man, that's deep. And, and there are so many Christians that have gone to church their whole lives hearing and, and conceptualizing the concept of faith, but they have no real understanding about righteousness and what it means to be in right standing with God. So, so while the amazing power of the grace of God produces salvation, which it does, and, and though we are to put our faith in what Jesus did for us, righteousness is what we are actually called in Scripture to focus on once we're born again. Um, I'm going to say that again. So, so while the amazing grace of God is what produces salvation, and it is our faith in Jesus, ultimately, that closes that gap, it is righteousness that the Bible screams loudly is to be the focus for the Bible-believing Christian once they're born Again, listen, listen, this is really deep. And, and that's because righteousness is what puts us in right relationship with God. It's our righteousness that puts us in the right relationship with God by just receiving righteousness from Jesus. He gave us his righteousness. That's what closes the gap. That's what allows us to be in a relationship with God. So when we tapped out and we looked up and we linked in, we became righteous immediately. That's what scripture tells us. In that moment, we became fully righteous in the eyes of the Lord. So, so as we put our faith, I know we're getting deep. So as we put our faith in what Jesus has done, the righteousness he earned through his faith and obedience becomes ours immediately. And folks, we call that imputed righteousness. This is what's called imputed righteousness. Okay, now now I know that's a mouthful, but, but, but I say all that, which I had to say that to be faithful, to now say this, which is where we're headed. Listen carefully. Here in the text of Ephesians chapter 6 specifically, Paul is not primarily talking about imputed righteousness or assigned righteousness from, from Jesus like he does in the book of Romans. What I laid out was imputed righteousness. That's not what Paul's primarily talking about. He's not talking about that, but rather Paul is actually talking about, are you ready? practical righteousness here in chapter 6. You've got to look at things contextually. In other words, Paul is encouraging us to pick up the breastplate of righteousness here in order that we might all the more be reminded that the continual pursuit of sanctification must be the central aim of the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian for the rest of our lives. And I need you to land in that because engaging in righteous qualities and righteous behaviors and righteous relationships is now directly associated with your new life and identity 
in Christ. You see, historically, when the Roman soldiers wore these breastplates, it was to cover their whole chest and to protect it against assaults and arrows primarily. And so Paul is drawing from this historical um, framework where he exhorts us to put on the, the, the virtues of Jesus across here so that our heart is protected. Our heart, our affections, the things we love, the things we desire, what we're devoted to, all, all that covetousness, all these things. It's, it's a protection mechanism that he's trying to get us to activate in order that we might not give one single inch to Satan. This is very practical and very productive, folks, in the areas of your practical impurity and lust and greed or injustice. Folks, the breastplate of, of righteousness is all about protecting your heart and your affections from the thing, uh, protecting it, uh, your, the things of God that are within you so Satan doesn't destroy them and it's to protect you away from the things of the enemy that tries to woo you away from your identity in Christ. It's the breastplate of righteousness that guards you from becoming callous, Ephesians chapter 4. So, so this spe uh, specific piece of armor is so very important, right? Because, because when you are defending yourself by walking in righteousness and you combine that with the truth from the belt of truth, right? Think about that. You, if you activate the truth of God, what does God say? And then you also activate this breastplate of righteousness, or in other words, an intentionality to, to do righteous things because of your spirit-filled power given to you by God, you become a formidable opponent for Satan and his minions. Okay, so, so here are two ways that you can practically strap on this breastplate of righteousness in your life. Here we go. Here's number one. Identify righteous activities in your life that strengthen you and start repeating them. Folks, it's, 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 it's really that simple. It, it could be very normal things like a, an occasional conversation with a homeless person and getting to know them a little bit deeper and offering them a meal or, or engaging in a dinner date with a family from your local church and, taking, um, and talking about the goodness of God and how he's impacting your, your life and talking about your struggles and things like that. It could be an ordinary jogging experience with a girlfriend and, and then at the end you both pray for each other's husbands and children's and the complexities of life. It could be working at a uh, volunteering at a women's abuse center as you help victims recover from difficult stories and, and past trauma. It could be a very normal TV show that not that is not only wholesome but is used intentionally by you. You redeem it, you use it, and you put the value back, right? Ephesians chapter uh, five, and you use it for to, as a springboard for deeper and more redemptive conversations with your children or with your wife or with a or with a friend. It could be you volunteering at an orphanage where you get to help provide um, Christmas toys and presents and moments and opportunities for kids who are wanting and are without. It can look like being a part of a book club that produces a restful posture in your heart and you generate fellowship and it leads to deeper and more intimate relationships. So, so just think of righteous activities or as opportunities for you to take the very normal situations of your life, the, the ordinary, the, the natural, and infusing God into them now rendering them righteous and spiritual. Let me say that again. So, so, so 
engaging in righteous activities is to take the very normal and ordinary things and events and situations of your life and infusing God into them and making them righteous and therefore spiritual. Oh man, I want to talk about that more, but let's, let's, let's go with number two. Here's, here's the second way you can activate and put on that breastplate of righteousness. Number two, identify unrighteous activities in your life that are weakening you and be quick to eliminate them. Okay, so so for each of us, this is going to be unique and different, right? It's just it's going to be that way. Remember, I told you that, that I said that because Paul said that, that, that Satan crafts specific schemes and insidious methods for us as individuals to take us out. Okay, so we all have our own set of weaknesses and unique places of easier access and, and bents towards certain sins that the enemy tries to take advantage of. So uh, for, for many of us, it might be watching a, a movie or a TV show that doesn't line up with God's desire, uh, right, in Scripture, and, or God's desire for your purity, and it weakens your breastplate of righteousness. Things that you once were rightly uncomfortable with, as you keep watching that TV show, you keep watching that movie, it, it doesn't seem to phase you quite like it used to anymore, right? And then the next thing you know, you kind of you like that movie part in the scene. You kind of you like that joke, and it's kind of becoming more funny, and it used to not be, and, and that compromising situation doesn't really affect you anymore. And then you then you start searching for it, right? Then you start wanting it, right? Or or maybe yours is a, 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 the friends that you keep, and, and maybe Maybe it's the things you listen to or, or whatever it really is, folks. Whatever it is, you got to put them away. Chapter 4, chapter 5, put them all away. Because when you intentionally expose yourself and you let you put that breastplate down and you expose yourself to immoral behavior, you create room for Satan to weaken the breastplate that the God of the universe has given you. And you don't want to be a weirdo, do you? You don't want to be a weirdo. Like, like there are so many men and women of the faith that I listed out just about 10 minutes ago that activated that armor. Did you see how they how God used them in the spirit-filled life. And they demonstrated great victory because they kept their armor on. And so you don't want to be the weirdo and the only one that's putting that armor down, do you? Let's not be those kind of people. Therefore, to defend yourself from Satan, um, Satan's attempt to distract you with the busy things and the forbidden things, you have to armor up with righteousness. Because if you're living a lifestyle, folks, where you are regularly standing in righteous activities with righteous people doing righteous things, those darts have a harder time of connecting and hitting the target. And, and that's really what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, put on the practicalness of the righteousness in your life. This is about normal living. Don't you forget the contextual normalcy of him saying, be good dads, be good moms, be good bond servants, and hey, put on this breastplate while you're doing that. Okay, okay, so let's keep tracking to, to verse 15. And, and the Word of God says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, folks, shoes are very, very important. In fact, if you go to a shoe store today, you're going to have options for Crocs and boots and biking shoes and, and hiking shoes and tennis shoes and basketball shoes and running shoes and baseball cleats and football cleats and sandals and flip-flops and high heels. I mean, and more and more and more and more. So we all can agree that shoes are really important and that we need different kinds of shoes for different types of 
of activities. Okay, so so historically, Roman soldiers were issued great, great footwear, specifically during um, battle and wartime situations. They wore sandals called caligae, right? They were called caligae, which were created to help uh, protect the soldiers' feet um, when, when they were going into battle, specifically when they had a long journey ahead of them. And they had these really thick, extremely thick soles that were wrapped perfectly, these straps wrapped perfectly around their ankles in a way that protected them against blistering. The, the science and the technology was really, really, really excellent, actually. If you look at it historically, you know, I'm just saying, I know Nike and uh, Under Armour, but they, they really had to figure it out, as usual, in the Roman society. So these, these Caligae also had spikes on the bottom to help them stand firm. This is, you hear that word? This is crazy. So these Caligae had spikes on the bottom to help them to stand firm as they dug their feet deep into the ground. So you know why? So they could hold their position when the battle started and when the enemy tried to put pressure on them, they would dig their feet into the ground to create a firm foundation. Like, do you see Paul's intentionality as he connects his earth realm and his time period and he then connects it to the spiritual things of God? Oh, Pastor Paul. Okay, so so okay, so so here we are as believers, and we're called to have a firm foundation, specifically in the gospel. This is the connection he's trying to make. As believers and as spiritual soldiers and warriors, we must have a sitting, sevenfold blessing of God confidence that we are radically secure in what Jesus has done for us, folks. We gotta land that plane according to the gospel. That's why Paul says earlier in Ephesians chapter two that Jesus proclaimed the good news of peace to all people. You remember that? Okay, so check this out. In the midst of a bloody, soul-snatching war, we are called to be ambassadors and messengers of that gospel of peace. Do you know that? That's part of your new identity. We're called to be ambassadors and missionaries of that message of the gospel of peace as our firm foundation and our offering to the entire world, folks. That's what separates us from every other religion out there, namely our mission of spreading the gospel and its promise of final peace and reconciliation of all things, praise Christ. We don't take life, folks, in our faith. We came to offer life abundantly abundantly in Christ. And, and in Christ, we are called to dig our spiritual gospel shoes deep into the ground, to take our hills and our spikes in the earth, and to hold a firm foundation against the onslaught of the darkness in this world. We are to, we are to stake our feet in the ground and to stand firm against that pressure as glad witnesses or martero meaning martyr meaning one who gladly lays down their earthly relationships earthly finances and earthly life for the gospel folks the gospel of peace because christ did it for you and me and that's what made christians so for, so, so you know that's what made christians so dangerous in the historical period of time that paul is writing from folks it's what made them so dangerous it was their fearlessness to in the face of even death to stand firm with those caligae spiritual caligae shoes on their faith against the pressure of the enemy against the pressure of the darkness against the pressure of the world powers of that time because they had radical confidence that they would eventually be raised again by the King of all kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus 
Christ. And, and that's what made them so dangerous. And, and we are called to join them, folks, in that radical confidence, wearing our spiritual caligai, our shoes of gospel peace, and being confident Christians. Okay, so, so, so here are three practical ways that we can lace up our defensive strategy with these, with these shoes of gospel peace. Okay, here's, here's the first way. We, we do that by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. Like if, if you could just start reminding yourself of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, man, we got to be stronger as the people of God. And it starts with reminding your own heart about the hope you have in Jesus found in the gospel of peace. If you can meditate on everything you've learned in this Ephesian series and not let it fall away from you. Are you with me? If you could set a reminder on your phone to listen to maybe one of these sermons in order once a month for the next three or four years of your life to keep you connected to the truth of God. Okay, if you could find a way, any way that you can keep the gospel message fresh in your soul, you're going to be strengthened, folks. You're going to be strengthened for war and you're going to be ready to deliver it to others, right? You're going to be ready for that war and you're going to be ready to deliver the gospel of peace to others when they need it most. And you're going to have the right spiritual caligai to stand firm when the pressure comes to get you off track from that gospel peace. Hey, 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 look at me. But don't wait until the hardship arrives. It's going to be too late if you wait for that moment. Once the trial or the tribulation or the tragedy hits, it's often too late, folks, when we try to respond in that way because we're already lacking faith and we did not put our trust in God and we didn't activate our armor. Soldiers don't put armor on after the battle has already started. You, you watch war movies. They put their armor on and they're prepared for the war to come. Therefore, build your foundation on a daily reminder of your hope in Jesus now. Do it now. Put it in your phone now. Make the rhythm now. And I promise you, you'll be ready when the battle comes your way. Okay, here's number two. Share your testimony with others. This one is so important. We've, we've been talking about this a lot lately, right? We talked about it early in our church plant with the DNA series, Marked by Going. We've been doing it now in the Ephesians series challenge. We lifted it up again in the Increase Your Peace and Joy challenge. We've been talking about this a lot lately. But I want you to know that for the modern-day Christian, this has become a real struggle, this whole concept of evangelizing. This, this whole category of reaching the least and the last and the lost is, is so daunting for the modern-day Christian in a way, hey, listen to me, in a way that really would have seemed completely strange and unfamiliar to the Christians of Paul's time period. I'm just being honest with you. They would not have understood our, the way that we, we struggle. And, and I could just camp out about that reality and, and just do a whole sermon right there. But to, but to keep moving this, this sermon forward, I want you to know that the easiest and the most effective way, especially if you are young and in, in, in activating that muscle of evangelism, the, the easiest and the most effective way you can do that is to share the gospel with others by simply telling your story of how Jesus changed your life. Seriously, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know how to exegete the whole Bible correctly. You just need to be confident about who Jesus is, what he did for you, 
and then you tell, you just tell that story. And, and when you do that, you'll be so radically surprised at how the Holy Spirit works through you and for others for God's glory. So, so you just got to let your, the light in you shine in proximity to a vast amount of darkness and let the Holy Spirit show up for you. Just, just get out of your head and move your, your, your intentions down to those firm shoes of the gospel of peace around your community. And folks, just go for it. Just lean in and go for it because they need Christ offered to them as well. Okay, so here's, here's, here's the third way that we can do this. By being a living example, folks. By being a good and living example. Folks, the way that you and me walk through life is going to be seen by so many people. It just is. People are watching us. So when you carry yourself with the fruit of the Spirit, when you're fruity, bearing much fruit, being a child of light, people are going to stop People are going to notice, and people are going to, are going to want to drink that juice. Not everyone, but more than you probably realize. So, so walk the talk, folks. Walk the talk, because when you're a li- excuse me, when you're living by example, when you're sharing your testimony, you're encouraging your own soul, and and the good news of the gospel peace is coming out of your mouth, and you're starting to herald those things. When you regularly engage the gospel in these three ways. Preach it to yourself, share it with others, and then live a life by example. Oh man, it gets difficult for Satan's fiery darts of accusations to take to take root in you. Pay attention. You need the shoes of the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, to balance out the breastplate of righteousness. I, I gotta say that again. Track with me. The shoes of the gospel of peace about what Jesus has to offer and the helmet of salvation, which we're going to talk about. The combination of these two armors realities is what balances out the practicalness of the breastplate of righteousness. Because when you dig your shoes into the firm foundation of the gospel, oh, that's legit. When you dig those caligae on that truth, it will protect you from pursuing practical righteousness legalistically and forgetting that Jesus Jesus does the work. So our breastplate of righteousness practically works well because we're also wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace and that very important helmet of salvation. That's why Paul keeps leaning in in the text two times and says, put on partially the armor. No, he says, put on the whole armor. You don't want a fragmented armor. It'll put you out of balance. Okay. And and you know why all that's important? Because if Satan can get you to question the gospel, and he does all the time. And, and if he can craft a specific method and scheme that can get you away from the, the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation based upon his lies and fiery darts, if he can get you caught up and trapped up and tripped up on your past sin and your shame, or, or, or if he can get you and woo you into using more human effort in and of your own strength, if he can get you distracted doing busy things or forbidden things, falling into the old man and away from the new man, if he can do this and take the kill shot directly at those realities and woo you towards unbelief, if he can do that and he connects that kill shot, he's going to close your mouth. Do you hear me? He's going to close your mouth up and you will close your own mouth and he'll keep it zip tight. Er. 
and people who are all around you drowning in a vast amount of darkness will not have access to the Christ that's in you, and we can't let that happen. We're in a war. Armor up. We got to armor up. And, and you won't be able to do a thing about it because you're going to be zipped up tight because he would have worked on you and broke you down and tore you apart. And Paul says, that's not our destiny. Armor up. We're not going to let Satan choke the light out of us. So, so, so you and me, we got to armor up with these shoes of the gospel of peace and take that message everywhere we go and offer it to every single person person that we can because with the the, the um, excuse me because with the belt of the truth and the breastplate of righteousness and now the shoes of the gospel of peace oh man we're becoming a true threat to to satan in a real way but we don't have all the armor yet we're, we're we went from formidable to a, a a real threat to him but we need more armor so we can be victorious so so let's keep tracking ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 here we go in all circumstances remember that means in not 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 like like in t- on top of, in front of the shoes of gospel peace, in front of the breastplate of righteousness, in front of those things, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Oh, man. Okay, so, so hear me out. I want you to know that the specific shield that Paul is using in his illustration wasn't some little small Fisher-Price little toy shield or something. Are you tracking? That's, that's very important. This isn't some Frisbee-sized shield that barely fits over your left pectoral muscle. Uh-uh. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, these historical shields that the Roman soldiers were, were using were about the size of a modern-day door to your bedroom. Okay, so, so get that image in your mind. It's the, that is a big old shield, the size of your bedroom door. Okay, so track with me. These Roman soldiers were using bedroom door-sized shields that were called scutums, okay? And, and these scutums were the soldiers' primary defense before you even get to their armor, okay? It was these big bedroom door-like shields. Now, they were made with impenetrable wood, leather, and even had some metal contained within them. And they were submerged regularly in water to best prepare that shield to extinguish any fiery arrow that the enemy would shoot their way. Like, are you kidding me? Do you get Paul's intentionality here using his historical framework to help us to see the things of God? Okay, so 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 the shield of faith for the believer is just like that, folks. It's just like that. Trusting in God's power and protection, it's a big protection. Or or believing or or more literally having faith is the most important thing in the Christian war. You gotta have faith and that faith needs to be that faith needs to be so secure. Have you ever heard of an army whoever won a war believing radically that they couldn't win no right like that 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 doesn't happen you see so when tragedy strikes and, and hardships come we're going to need the shield of faith to already be in place. We can't go try to find it. The ar- you, you, you can't. Do you ever see that in a movie? The, the, enemy, the enemy comes, they start shooting, and the soldiers wake up, and they're caught off guard in the tent. What happens in that battle? They get taken out. We got to be ready, armored up, already. So when those hardships come, our shield of faith, we're standing there. We've got, our, got that bedroom door, and we're like, oh, we're ready. Our shoes are there. We're locked into the ground. The, the shoes of gospel peace, they're dug in. Those cowboy guys are in. That shield's up, and we're already ready because it's, it's pre-established 
for us so that we remember and trust in God's work and all the things that he's done for us. And, and we're going to need that faith to allow us to remember and to trust that he, the God of the universe, will keep all of his promises to us. And I believe with all my heart that, that, that Trey's father, remember from last week, Trey's father activated this specific defensive strategy when he lost his son in a senseless act of violence that day. You remember that? Oh man, when Satan took the kill shot at Trey and, and Trey was murdered, his father was able to respond and to operate from his spirit-filled position because he was already armored up with the shield of faith, and he was standing upon the promises of God in the worst moment of his life. Trey's father's shield was a bedroom door size, large, and in position shield, and it was already drenched with the Holy Spirit's uh, the Holy Spirit's water, so that that fiery dart didn't snatch and take Trey's father's hope of Christ away. And, and Satan couldn't take Trey's father's ultimate joy and peace and perspective. Okay, so so here are three ways that now you and, and me can hold up our own defensive strategy with the same shield of faith so we can be ready as well. Okay, here's number one. Take time to remember the promises of God. You got to do that. So, so when the fiery dart tries to infiltrate your heart, and, 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 and it tries to take you out. Extinguish them with reminders of God's goodness and God's perspective on your circumstance. Or think about it in light of eternity. And, and a powerful way our shield of faith can be strengthened is by the belt of truth. They're all interconnected. You, you can embolden the shield of faith by the belt of truth and its wealth of godly promises. So 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 now so know that the belt of truth and the shield of faith are intimately connected. The belt of truth infuses and creates more faith. That faith it embodies the belt of truth and they have this interplay relationship. Oh man, I want to talk about that relationship more, but but I'm not going to do that. Let's keep tracking. Okay, so so here's some of God's here's some of God's promises. He will never forsake you. Deuteronomy chapter 31:6. He will meet all of your needs, Philemon 4, 19. Let's go, Pastor Jack. We're ready for that series. Call on him and he will answer Psalms 50, 10. Are you kidding me? Call on him. We got a God that answers us when we call him. Praise Christ. Psalms 50, 10. He will make your path straight. You don't got to be a lost boy anymore. You don't have to be a lost girl anymore because Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says so. It's legit. Simply look at the promises of God and submerge yourselves into them. Oh, folks, it changes. It changes the game. Okay, number two. Hey, unite your faith. This is how you do it. This is how you activate that shield. Unite your faith with others in covenant community and don't live folks don't live in isolation like like did you know that a soldier's shield was strongest when it was linked together with other soldiers on the same team with the same agenda and the same mission 
It just was. 130 soldiers would all put their bedroom door-sized shields together and they would make an impenetrable wall of protection. You've seen that in the movies. And, and when they linked together as a circle, the enemy literally had no entry point to their vulnerable backsides. They were totally protected. So so as I can talk about that too, but anyways. So, so as Christ followers, we are called radically to band together and to unite our faith as one, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. Got it? All of us, we unite as one. And this is how the church began in that first century. And it is most definitely where the strongest bonds are still to be had by the people of God today. Your eternal family, folks. Hey, lean in. Your eternal family must be the ultimate family that you have in Christ. Christ wants you to unify your earthly life and your time and your priorities around the kingdom of heaven and those who are of the light. I'm going to say that again. Your eternal family is the ultimate family that Christ wants you to unify your earthly life, time, and priorities around. It's your church family, the ecclesia, that is the best source of protection and defense that you can have to win this war. It just is. Never forget that and don't undervalue that. Put the family of God first above all relationships here on earth always and forever okay here's here's the third way recount god's past victories in your life hey consider keeping a journal or or putting sticky notes on on your wall whatever you have to do just remember all the victorious moments that god showed up for you and delivered you and, and whenever your faith wavers just recite that list and remember in detail how god made a way like have you seen the movie war room before if you haven't seen that christian movie it's legit and there's a scene where the lady takes her someone the the the, the person she's mentoring into the room and she shows her war room and it's filled with god's promises and all these stories of victorious moments where god showed up and answered her prayers and that illustration is legit make your war room put sticky notes in your car, put it in your phone, whatever you got to do, be reminded of God's victories in your life. If the children of Israel would have been reminded of what God had just done in, in, in Egypt, they would have been warred up. They would have been armored up and they would have been ready and they would have not fallen away. But we're not going to be like them, forgetful, praise Christ. We have the spirit of God, praise Christ. We're going to be armored up, praise Christ, and we're going to, and we're going to do that. So let's activate that and let's most definitely make it our priority. Okay, okay, let's let's keep tracking. Uh, verse 17. And and take the helmet of salvation. Oh man, the helmet of salvation. Now, now we have all watched enough war movies to, to agree that the soldier's head is one of the most vulnerable areas of attack for an enemy. In fact, without a soldier's helmet, we all know that one blow to the head gone right will take the soldier completely out of the war and will most likely end his whole life, right? Therefore, Roman helmets of this time that Paul is really speaking out of covered the soldier's entire head. It's, it's actually shown on the screen. Their whole head, their facial area, and even between the eyes had protection. These ridiculously heavy helmets were made with 100% 
iron and bronze, folks. And historians actually say that we simply don't have the neck muscles, most of us, to even wear such an object, let alone move around with the agility and the, and the athleticism that these Roman soldiers did. Okay, so, so, so the helmet of salvation is so valuable, it's so sturdy, and it's so necessary because we as the people of God must have our hope of eternity radically in Christ to stand victorious. Are you tracking with me? This has to be locked in, your salvation. So, so in order for us to resist Satan's methods and to resist Satan's schemes, we must have radical assurance radical assurance of our own personal salvation and eternal standing with God. Our personal salvation cannot be on trial from circumstance to circumstance, mistake to mistake. That cannot happen for the people of God. We can't go around being people that believe we're saved on Monday and we're unregenerate on a Thursday. That's not who God has called us to be. Therefore, therefore, we have to go to the God of the universe daily being reminded that our eternal security has been found, has been accomplished and provided for in Jesus. Because to the degree that we trust God, it's to that same degree that we don't have to believe or obey Satan's accusations and Satan's demands anymore. And like I said earlier, the, the helmet of salvation is so important for the believer as you pursue to strengthen your, bless, your breastplate of righteousness. Don't ever forget that. You, you can't forget that it's all been done for you on the cross. Jesus, Jesus bled out for you. He was pierced at his side and he put the, 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 the crown, the thorny crown on. And he went into the grave and he died for three days and he rose out of that grave like the conquering king that he is. And he lavished the gifts upon you. And he made you spirit-filled, which means he equipped you to do things you can't do. And he, and he transforms you to like things that you didn't like before. And, and now we pursue all this, don't do this and don't do that. And we get to be pure and we get to walk victorious and we get to do all these things. But we don't do it from a posture where, we, where it's all on our own. Remember, verse 10, it's by the power of his reserved strength, ready to be unleashed in a moment's notice on our behalf. Praise God. But, but did you know that I didn't, did you notice that I did not say we don't have to hear Satan's accusations and we don't have to hear Satan's demands? I only said we don't have to believe and we don't have to obey them because the sobering reality and the sobering truth is we will have to hear Satan's lies, and we will have to deal with his accusations. Folks, on this side of heaven, Satan has freedom to make accusations and to present faulty demands upon our lives. He just does. And, and he's going to present demands and, and make metho uh, very methodical accusations against you for the rest of of your life, you need to know that you're in a war. But but when we when you and me, when we resolve to armor up, defending ourselves and saying, I have been saved from my from sin's penalty, I, I am presently being I okay, hold on. When we say to ourselves, I have been saved from sin's penalty, and I am presently being saved from sin's power, and I will ultimately be finally saved from sin's presence, when we say, I am alive in Christ, totally redeemed, totally forgiven, 
totally raised with Christ and seated with Christ, praise Christ, when we talk like that and believe like that and, and, and walk like that and strengthen up like that, then our armored up position from the helmet of salvation won't allow the evil one to rule and reign in our minds and our thoughts anymore. Praise Christ, because Satan won't be able to take a foothold, folks, in our head anymore. That that is good news. And this is so radically important because if Satan gets in your head and if Satan gets in my head, he has access to get to work on our hearts. And that, folks, that can't happen. And if your heart starts to fail and you start questioning your relationship with God and you start questioning your eternal standing, folks, bad things are only in store for you. Because, because then... Your shield of faith loses its girth and the, and the breastplate of righteousness becomes harder for you to practically pursue and, and the belt of truth becomes kind of murky and the, and the shoes of gospel um, peace grow dusty and the, and, the, and the spikes on those guys that you're wearing become kind of dull and your evangelizing ordained mouth gets shut. And, and that, that is not our destiny. So, so just like the Roman soldiers took extra precaution to protect their heads because they're radically vulnerable with a five-pound helmet, believe it or not, we must take extra wise, biblical, focused precaution to secure our helmet of salvation because our minds are a battlefield and they are a vulnerable place. My brothers and sisters. Okay, so here are two ways that we can put on our defensive strategy with the helmet of salvation. Okay, here's number one. Stand on the conviction of your salvation. Oh, man. That is important to stand on the conviction of your salvation. When you, because, because think deeply with me. When you know, I mean, when you really, really, really know without a doubt that you're going to heaven. I mean, when you really know what Christ did for you on the cross and you believe that. When you really, really know that even death cannot defeat you, Romans chapter 8. When you really know that despite how dark, um, how dark life can become, that you are forever sealed and wealthy, Ephesians chapter 1. It's at that point of belief, it's at that point of security in your salvation, that, that your literal confidence in your salvation can light the way and and carry you back home to the safe waters of peace and perspective, right? Of the power of resting and sitting with God as a child of God, as your primary identity. Because this helmet, folks, this helmet, when activated, will protect you from disproportionate anxiety and fear. Here I said, I'm not saying you're not going to have fear. I'm not saying you're never going to have anxiety. We live in a broken world. I said the helmet of salvation will guard you and protect you from disproportionate fear and anxiety. The helmet will protect you from lies and deception from others. And guess what? This helmet of salvation will also protect you from yourself and your own faulty, broken thoughts that are sometimes birthed in your own mind. And we all know that sometimes we act a little crazy. So, so, so the next time Satan or some person or probably the biggest enemy, your own thoughts 
try to put your eternal standing on trial. The next time you wrestle and say, am I really saved? Why do I keep doing this forbidden thing? I keep failing. I keep failing. If, I, if all of my, if my friends knew, if my pastor knew, am I, am I really secure? Hey, the next time you are tempted to do that, you smack the helmet of salvation on, on your head directly. You tap that bad boy three times and you say, no, I'm armored up. Satan, you can't have my mind and you most definitely can't have my eternal standing. I'm armored up with the helmet of salvation. And the truth is, I'm radically secure by the, by the seven identical blessings of the triune God. No, no, no. And that is a perfect segue, folks, to, to the second way we can activate the defensive strategy of the helmet of truth. Here it is. Number two, place your thoughts on things above by regularly reading God's word and listening to your local church's sermons, both past and current. Listen, at some point, family and friends, you just got to get intentional about feeding your mind with good, solid spiritual food. You just do. You got to stop being so lazy and so laggardly all the time with your God-given mind. He gave it to you for a reason. You got to nourish it with good food. But but if you keep wasting your life away and your mind away and you keep filling it only with meaningless and superficial realities, if the only thing that passes through your mind is sports and politics and food recipes and game strategies, if your mind only focuses on superficial, temporary, earthly realities, how is your mind going to last when it's in the middle of a very real spiritual war? Oh, man. We're living in a spiritual war. We got to do spiritual things with our mind because we are in a war of the minds, folks. And we need to declare that today. We are in a spiritual war of our minds. So, so, so pick up your Bible and, 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 and even randomly reading the Word of God and just opening it up and reading it. Man, there's real profit there and it's definitely going to make an impact in your life but but what i really want to focus in on and laser in on and camp out on for a moment is the power and the anointing and the protection those three words are important the power the anointing and the protection that god has placed on the preaching and the teaching in your local church and i want to lift that up today therefore because we have people listening in multiple state lines in different countries they all don't go to this church lean into what pastor brendan's saying there is power, perspective, and anointing in your local church, and it's radically important. Therefore, when you go home and, 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 you, and you study God's word, and you continue to study it in conjunction with what your local church is teaching, folks, it is very, very profitable. Now, did you know that the primary way that God designed his word to be learned for the purpose of spiritual maturity for his people was through the preaching and the teaching given through the pastors and elders in a local church? Did you know that? That's crazy, right? Okay, track with me. Lean in. The primary way, here, I'm going to let me frame two realities for you. The primary way that people hear God's word in a vast amount of darkness, unbelievers, those who are, those who are ain'ts, the primary way that they hear the word of God is through you. Individual members in the church 
going out into the community in a vast amount of darkness, being the light, being fruity, being filled with the Spirit of God, and preaching and proclaiming the gospel, the gospel of peace. That's that's your part. But, but track with me. But the primary way that a new believer grows from hearing the Word of God and accepting the Word of God to then deepening out and maturing as a spiritual mature Christian is literally to then dwell and to submit to a church local body, submit to that church, involve themselves in community, submitting to God with God of the picture, Jesus as the target, where they are taught and fed the scriptures faithfully and in unity with godly cohesiveness under the governance of God's establishment. It's not mine, it's not man's, God's establishment of the church. That's that's my part here at Redemption City Church, and that's that's Pastor Jack's part as well. So 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 in a culture that promotes individualism above all things, it may be a little jarring for you right now to hear that your personal devotions and your personal Bible studies are not the primary vehicle of God's design for your spiritual maturity, growth, and biblical understanding. It's just not. But well, hold on, Pastor Brandon. Wait a minute, Pastor Brandon. You can't say that to me. My, my personal study and devotion time with the Lord is the most powerful time and most intimate, fruitful time I always have. It's where I've learned the most. Okay. okay. Uh, all right. But it's not the only place that you're called to learn. And it's not the main attraction that Scripture says or lifts up. And I just want you to know that because God's Word was truly meant for us individually, yet simultaneously collectively. I'm going to say that again. God's word is truly meant for us as individuals, but it, yet it's collectively and simultaneously supposed to happen in unity. Okay, I'm going to explain this. Like, like, can't you see? We've been learning for the last year and a half that we are called to walk in unity and to walk in harmony. And a huge part of that harmony and that unity is to do life together, specifically, folks, around the Word of God. That's what we center on. It's not politics. It's not our interests. and It's not how we do uh, our vacations. The whole unity is on the Word of God. That's what makes us unified. We are much less individuals in God's eyes than we probably realize, or let's be honest, that we want to admit or desire to be. Folks, our power is found in the we, not the I. It's in the we. And, and so the dangerous, dangerous reality, the dangerous game of personal devotions and family devotions and small group Bible studies that are constantly separate, keyword, separate from a gospel community or prioritized over time in God's word with the local church that's being preached and exhorted as a battle cry from the pastor there is that your learning becomes fragmented and in isolation, folks. And when you do that, the entire body becomes weakened. And honestly, things get weird, things get wacky, and things get wonky all the time. Just imagine, hey, check with me. Just imagine an army platoon going to battle with each soldier deciding that they're going to study what the battle plans are on their own in isolation from each other, and they're all going to just going to pick different parts of the commander's battle plan. I'm going, to, I don't, I'm going to read only page 5. I'm going to read page 10, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and they're all doing it on their own, and they're all focusing on different parts. How effective are they going to be collectively in that war? 
They're not going to do great, are they? Well, well, why? It's obvious, right? They're all on different pages. They're a platoon. They're supposed to go together. They have one assignment. And they're all focusing on different things. And so it's difficult to rally together and things get chaotic. That, that, that platoon is going to get taken out. But when the same army platoon gathers together in unity and in harmony and they submit that they're going to listen to the same segments of the commander's battle cry together and count it as chiefly important, and when those individual soldiers then go home and then choose to keep studying what the commander told them is going to take place in tomorrow's battle, and then they take it deeper into their heart and they prepare themselves even more. And when all those same soldiers get back together the next day, having taken the battle cry in unity further individually and then back together in unity, they're going to be armored up and they're going to stand firm and they're going to be strong and they're going to be ready to win the war. Can't you see that? Oh, the Bible is so simple but it's so productive. Now, now that doesn't mean that there's not a right and a true and a good place for personal devotion and preferences, right? There absolutely is. Come on now. Let me, let me build the tension out, but not disproportionately, right? Not in replacement or as a priority over corporate teaching and further reflection on that. Your personal devotion time is to be a very wise and necessary supplement but not, folks, a replacement. So don't think of, just in case, let me, let me build this out a little bit more. Don't think that I'm saying that your personal devotion time is a supplement like a vitamin pill that you can take or not take and it's no big deal. I'm not saying that. Instead, think of it as a supplement prescribed by a doctor that you absolutely need to be healthy and to fight off an effect of a disease. It's that kind of supplement. Your personal devotion time is a necessary really integral part of your life. But folks, a supplement is still a supplement. The main course meal and your main nutrition is found in and through the local church. It just is. So, so be very, very careful of what you're modeling to new believers. If you are a mature Christian, you make sure you, you what you're modeling to, to new Christians or to how you're modeling things as you disciple your kids at home, make sure you're communicating with your behavior and your Christ-centered activities that you are not primarily an individual because you're not, but instead that you are a member of a church in glad submission in your actions. And one of the ways you show that is what you prioritize in the Word of God. That was a big shift for my family. Not to always doing a bunch of studies from all over the world, but to say, man, this is where our church has us. Now let me take it deeper for my, my children. Oh man, and when you do that, you are in glad submission to God's design and you're honoring the position we are as the bride of Christ. And I, and I say all of that, I'm trying to build this whole frame, right? I say all of that to say this. One of the great ways that you can protect your thought life, because we're talking about the helmet of salvation right now. One of the ways that you can protect your thought life is to put on the helmet of salvation and to regularly meditate on what God has to say over your life as prescri prescribed through the anointing of your local church as they teach you. The scripture. Hey, the great pastor and theologian Charles Spurgeon once said this, and this, this was this was this is weighty and this was good. If you want to know where God desires for you to learn, 
And if you want to discern where God wants you to grow in any particular year, just go to church on Sunday morning. Whatever is being taught is exactly where God wants you to be. Oh man, those are powerful, powerful words. Lean in to your local church and what God is providing you there, you'll be so glad, folks, that you did. Okay, let's let's keep let's keep tracking to to the rest of verse 17. And and take up the helmet of salvation, mm, very important, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word Oh, folks, it's the word of God. Now, now, my dad once taught me that in a converse sport like karate, sometimes the, the greatest defense is a powerful and precise offense. Thanks, Dad, uh, karate master that, that you are. So, so sometimes, folks, the, the, the greatest defense is a really good a really good offense. Okay, so so that's where we now collide with the sword of the Spirit. And I want you to notice that all the other pieces of the armor that we've discussed so far have been a defensive strategy. It's a defensive posture. It's a defensive weapon. But now we're talking about the sword, folks. Oh, man, the sword, the sword, the sword, the sword of the spirit. The sword was called a gladius in Roman culture, okay? And, and this was a short sword. It's not this big sword. Just get the context right. It was a short dagger-like sword um, used in personal combat. It was a very dangerous and a very deadly wap- weapon when Here's the condition, when it was in the hand of a skilled warrior. And so historically, when a young squire would come up and they would use these these gladiuses and they weren't trained, they weren't skilled, they ultimately were even more vulnerable had they used other types of weaponry because it takes you to be really skilled to use it right. So in other words, either you, when you were skilled, you became dangerous, and when you weren't, you were vulnerable. Oh, man, you see this intentionality? In fact, if it was used really properly, it could even pierce through the toughest armor of that historical time period, including going through even the breastplate of righteousness, right? That, that's incredible. Keep tracking with me. The Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says that our sword is the word of God, and that should not be a surprise to us. It's our short yet radically, supernaturally effective weapon for personal combat when the enemy gets up close and he is invading our defensive armor. Okay, folks, in this spiritual war, our primary stance is not offense, it's defense. It didn't say, finally go, finally attack, finally stand. Finally, dig your caligai into the floor and stand, shield, brace for the pressure. But when the enemy gets up close, you use that dagger-like close proximity. You use that, that gladius and you go to work. Oh, man. And though Paul usually uses the word logos almost universally in the Greek, he uses logos when he talks about the word of God here for only the second time in the book of Ephesians and only four times in all of his, on all of his epistles, he uses the word rhema again, folks. Oh, man, that changes 
everything. And if you don't remember, rhema means the spoken word or the action of utterance of many words. Oh man, I'm about to fillet this open. Okay, so so right here, Apostle Paul, Commander Paul, Warrior Paul is echoing from Isaiah 11.4 and Isaiah 9.2 and even a little bit, Luke's kind of talking about this in Revelations 19.15, that we are given access to the weapon of Jesus Christ himself because he is the word and the word was him. Oh man, oh, this is deep. Okay, so we are called in this portion of the text in Ephesians chapter 6 to to speak the gospel out loud and loudly in the things of God and the words of God in the realm of darkness so that those who are being held captive by the darkness might be set free. Oh man, this is going to be this is going to be legit. Oh man, so so when we hear the gospel and we herald the scriptures and we shout like the Israelites did when they did at the battle of Jericho and when we do that, we share the light in a vast a vast amount of darkness. Those who are far off will see a, a little candlelight, little flicker when we do that off in the distance, and they'll use it as a compass to start to come out amongst the shadows. Praise Christ. Folks, every other piece of God's armor protects us against Satan's attack. However, with God's word and Christ's reign over death, we are now truly activated to fight offensively and to defeat our enemies that stand against Against us in various battles that we're going to face. <clears throat> Remember, when I said Jesus used that armor to defeat Satan in the wilderness, remember when I said that he defeated Satan? Man, well, the piece of armor that Jesus activated was the sharp and effective dagger-like sword of God's word to defeat Satan when he was tempted in the desert. But go deeper with me. Throughout the Gospels, Satan is constantly lurking and, 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 and reigning and trying to rule, but we don't see Jesus giving him the time of day. He focuses on the light. He focuses on the fruit. He does not go around demon hunting and sin sniffing. He focuses on the light. This is deep contextual importance for the Christian. We are the children of a light. We do not have to go around trying to be exorcisms and, and perform demon hunting. That is not Christianity. We are to stand firm, to put our defenses up, and to focus on the light. That's what Jesus did. But when Satan specifically came for Jesus and he tried to get up close and isolate our warrior king, he said, okay, my defense is up, but you are getting too close. Therefore, I'm activating my gladius. I'm activating my dagger, and I'm going to hit you with the sword of the spirit. So when Satan said, I can, you can have this and you can have that, what did Jesus say? No, for the word of God says this. No, for my father says this. He says, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. Oh, man. Well, well, this is the main piece of armor that God has given us in those, in those moments. And we're called, like Jesus, to fight back with the word of God. Okay, so here are two ways that we can swing our offensive strategy of the sword of the Spirit. Number one, submerge yourself in the Bible. Radically submerge yourself in the Bible with offensive intentionality, folks, and be prepared to fight back and not to lie down. Folks, you have got to be intentional about reading God's Word. If you can't tell yet, that's the theme that is reigning and oozing all throughout this discussion on the armor 
of God. Because if you're not connected to God's word, and you're not believing God's word, and you don't understand God's word, and you're not seeing God's word, if, you don't, if you're not doing those things, folks, you're lacking the foundation you need as the power source for the entire armor of God. However, God is not only calling you to read God's word reflectively. God is calling us to read God's word assertively for battle purposes. I got to say it to you again, to the modern day nominal Christian. God is not only calling us to read his word reflectively. It's not just cute language. He's calling us to read the word of God assertively for battle purposes. And that, that is important because it changes the whole vantage point of what's happening in your heart when you engage and study at a small group or a podcast or a sermon or whatever you're listening to. It changes your vantage point because it moves from passive reflection and intellectual consideration to assertive obedience and activity. Are you, are you tracking with me? It, it moves you out of the spirit and the anthem of nominal Christianity that says, oh, that was a really good Bible study today. It really blessed my heart. I can't wait to tell my husband about my small groups. The ladies were so amazing. It was such a blessing. It was so much fun. It, towards a, towards a, a more connected, redemptive, Christian war, armored up type of awareness and, and regenerated intentionality that says, Thank you, God, for your marching orders today. I'm in a war, and I'm so thankful for your battle cry to my heart today. I'm, I understand how critical and essential everything that I learned today at church was, and I'm going to be radically intentional about activating it into my life. I'm in a war. I'm going to armor up about that. I'm going to equip my sisters. I'm going to equip my brothers. I'm going to equip my, my children, and I'm going to take life seriously and immediately with rapid response and 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 the things you've called me to do god i'm going to get to doing them and i'm going to do it with joy and the things you're telling me to avoid i'm going to flee from right now and i'm going to do it quick fast and in a hurry and i'm going to take what you revealed to me today in this podcast and i'm going to war up for my brother i'm going to armor up for my sister, and I'm going to go to war for my sister, and I'm going to go to war now for the widow. I'm going to go to war now for the suffering. I'm going to go to war now for those in desolate places, and I'm going to herald this information like it's life and death is in the balance because life and death is in the balance, and I'm taking my life seriously. I'm in a war. Oh, folks, when, when Satan attacked Christ in the desert, and he told him, no, 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 for it is written, and this, God says this, and God says that, if, if you didn't read that, check it out, because when he did that, Christ was laying a, a powerful example, powerful example of how we are to use and activate and wield God's word. It's active, it's powerful, it's precise, it's not cute, it's not the Disney Channel, it's powerful. Treat it like that. Okay, okay number two, when beaten down, when, not if. When beaten down, immerse yourself in the Bible and opportunities that center you back to God. Okay, okay, so, so here's the reality. Here's the reality. Even those with great faith, great faith, are going to have days and seasons when they feel like they just can't go on anymore. They're barely going to hang on. And, and it's in those days that your 15-minute little devotion and, your, and showing up on Sundays is not, folks. It's not going to be enough. Well, 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 what do we do in those moments, right? Because we've all been there before. We, we're just down and out, and we're having a hard time getting back up. 
what do we do in those moments? Because this is a real battle. It's a real war. And in a real war, there's real casualties. And there's an absurd amount of energy that we're all using. And sometimes we just don't, we just don't have it anymore. We just don't have any more. And, and it's in those times that you and I are, uh, uh, when we are in a specifically elevated battle that has especially worn us out, you need to activate a specifically elevated offensive approach to win that fight. I'm going to say it again. In the times that you are in a specifically elevated battle that has especially worn you out, you must activate a specifically elevated offensive approach to win that specific battle. And so in the moments that you need to up the ante and increase your intentionality to get off the floor, you got to do it and you got to make it a priority if you want to stand victorious. And, and the specific elevated offensive approach may, be like, may look like taking a sick day. Oh, but I only have three and I want to save it for my trip to Haiti or my trip to Jamaica. No, activate your sick day for your soul and take that day home and immerse yourself in the word of God for the entire day. But I really already made the plans. What about my hotel? What about your soul? Take the day off and go home. Just start reading and crying and worshiping and praying and reflecting and reading and crying and reflecting and repeating until you find you find your strength in the Lord again. Or, or perhaps your specifically elevated offensive approach may look like meeting with a pastor or a really good, uh, wise Christian therapist or counselor to help you sort through things with God in the picture and Jesus as the target. Don't be afraid to get some help, folks. Sometimes we need other people to swing the sword of the Spirit for us in moments that we're weak. Because Jesus himself, after fighting and swinging the sword of the Spirit against Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he was completely and utterly exhausted and tired at the end. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says that when the devil left him and Jesus won the battle, Behold, angels came, angels came and began to minister to him. Well, what do you think they were ministering to him with? Fruit, bananas, and nuts? No! The angels came and they were speaking rhema over our heavenly king in his moment of weakness. That is a beautiful picture. Our God on high, the God man. He had went to work. Have you been in a have you been bullied before? Are you kidding me? Have you been bullied before for a day? 40 days being antagonized moment by moment, moment by moment. Our Savior's tired. He's laying on a rock and the angels disseminated down and started speaking rhema. Husbands, activate that for your wife and your children. We all need to speak rhema, the words of God, over. So, so, so if our own victorious king had moments where someone was swinging the sword for him, that should give us rest. And a, and a willingness to let other people do it for us in times of exhaustion. So, so whether that's a, a pastor or a friend or a mentor or a Christian counselor, it's okay. It's okay to let someone swing the sword for you while you recover. But, but whatever you do, just keep God in the center of this recovery plan. Don't turn to alcohol. Don't turn to the busy things. Don't watch a bunch of movies. Don't drug out with, 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 with drugs. Don't medicate with your favorite books and romance novels and just stop it find god god is the way out 
believe it. And and listen, at Redemption City Church, we lift up all the time. It is okay to not be okay sometimes. We will swing the sword of the Spirit for you. We believe that. It's on our website, front page. But check this out. Lean in. You just can't stay that way. You got to get back up. You got to get armored up. And you got to stand eventually because you're, you're called for that. And you were created for that. And God has equipped you for that. Okay, let's, let's keep tracking because, because we got more legit things to discuss. Here we go. Uh, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, Paul saying, in opening my mouth to boldly, uh, excuse me, to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, man. And, and really, the first thing I want you to know is that Paul doesn't begin with a new sense here in verse 18. Look at it. Praying. It, there's dots in front of it. This is not the beginning. Instead, it's a continuation of one thought that he's having with us about standing firm against Satan and that pressure and his schemes and his methods through this vehicle, this weapon of prayer. And, and although prayer is not associated like the other ones, as, as the other pieces of armor, with um, like an illustration of a piece of like a Roman equipment, um, I do believe that a modern day piece of equipment that really does really embody it well is that of a walkie-talkie. So I want to introduce that to you today. I want to go youth pastor on you today. So so think of prayer and supplication as, as a walkie-talkie. In fact, um, the great pastor and writer John Piper used a powerful picture of, of prayer in that way, and I, and I want to share it with you. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. <clears throat> we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily, primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the power of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfortable ends in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Oh man, I, I really can't say it better myself. And while a, such a device is not literally in Paul's mind when he was writing to the church of Ephesus, Paul, I do believe, would really agree that prayer is the means by which we can call on God to help us in our battles right? So, so I do believe it's a faithful illustration for us to re remember as we walk forward because, it, because we have this amazing gift to communicate with God specifically in the war when we're being attacked in our normal living towards the things of God. Okay, so here are two ways that we can call on God with the offensive strategy of the walkie-talkie of prayer and supplication. Here we go. Number one, pray comprehensively and consistently as a way as a way of life now now did you know that but that paul mentions four occurrences of of alls in this passage uh, uh, i want to put that back on the screen for you here, here they are uh, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you, do you see all those different mentions? So, so Paul is making it really, really clear that we need to pray both comprehensively and consistently as a way of life. And, and really, this is a call from God to his people to stay alert with all perseverance. Like, like any good soldier, we need, to be, we need to be alert and we can't be falling asleep. And we see a great picture of that when Jesus was encouraging his disciples to stay awake and to pray when they're facing both weakness and temptation in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Go back and look at that. That's a great illustration. And, and this is so important because it's our persistent prayer life in the war that will help us to overcome fatigue and discouragement and even even hardship. But but what I what I really want to highlight right now is that the last all, the last time he mentions that 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 all clause, Paul mentions it when he says supplication for all the saints. Make supplication for all the saints. And and this is an ongoing current from Paul down the river of church unity. It's been so central to his whole concern for the church of Ephesus. Be unified. Folks, I want you to see that. He's literally calling us to be unified early at the end of chapter 1. He lands in it again in chapter 2. He lifts it up centrally in chapter 4. He's descending now in our marching orders for the war, and he's ending the last part of his marching orders inspired by God. And the last thing he tells us to do in the all clause is to make supplication for all saints, not just your family, not just you, but your whole, but the whole people the whole people of God. And, and that, that is so important. It's so simple, yet, yet it really is so productive. And we got to do that. But, but here's the thing. Therefore, when Paul tells us that we should pray and we should pray for all Christians, how do, how do we begin to do that in our lives? Well, we got to remember that because we tapped out and we looked up and we linked in, we, we not only get a new name and a new identity, we radically have to step into the intentionality that we have a new family. We're supposed to be excited about that. And, and that means we have a, a new responsibility to, to do life with them and to provide for them and to, and to submit to them and for them to submit to us. Us and to do this whole dance, and, and it starts with praying for them. And when we start to pray for them, it creates a category of, of love, and affections grow, and we, we hear from God, and, and God speaks to us, and, and God speaks to them, and, and, and this beginning of a new family starts to form. So, so what would it look like for, for you and for me here at RCC to pray each morning to the God of the universe before we enter the war? Yes, for ourselves. Yes, for our families, but for our church family here at Redemption. City Church. What if you intentionalize that? If you just took a moment each day to ask for God's wisdom when you're making good decisions, to make good decisions, I'm sorry, and for God's discipline to stay true to his word and, and for God's vision to hear his voice correctly, but also for God's heart to pray for your church family. What would that, what would that look like? What do you think that would do for your affections? For your, for your new family in Christ. And yes, sometimes we, we get stuck saying the same prayer over and over again, and it starts to feel kind of old and stagnant, right? Oh God, I pray for my church. I pray for my pastor. It can get repetitive. And, and the way that you can guard against that is be more impulsive. Like, like, like when, a, when a random thought comes in your mind about one of the members in your church, just stop what you're doing right there and start praying and be obedient to the Holy Spirit's inklings and his wooing in your heart. Okay, here's number two. 
pray for gospel boldness as Paul does for himself. We, we must never forget, folks, that Paul is a prisoner in chains here in the, in, when he's writing this to the church in Ephesus. So, so holding that intention as he wraps up this letter, what is his final request? Even after he says, hey, pray for all the saints, make supplication for all the saints, what is his final request? Well, in verse 19 and 20, we see that he humbly requests prayer for others, but for himself, because he wants to communicate the gospel boldly, and he doesn't want Satan to zip his mouth. We talked about that earlier in the text. He wants to make sure that he's strengthened, that that helmet of salvation stays secure. Why? Because he's under persecution day and night, and his flesh is weak, but he wants his soul, he wants his soul, folks, to be so strong and so so stable. Oh, man, our Paul, Father Paul, Warrior Paul, Apostle Paul, Commander Paul, the greatest theologian missionary of all time, he's asking for more prayer. So he can last and he can stand victorious. And I don't know about you, but that reality encourages me and it puts me in a very restful posture. He has the blood-bought position, and we do too, by the way, as an ambassador of Jesus, yet he knows that he doesn't have sufficient resources to communicate the gospel effectively from his own power. He's calling for the church to pray that God gives him more power, more reserved, cosmic, heroic, justice-bearing power so he can continue to stand himself. So, so just like he called on the church to pray for him, we are to call and ask boldly on God to give us more power. That's so important. Instead of feeling self-pity and resentment for his situation, he, he requests more prayer for the gospel mission. Oh, man, I'm going to say it again. Instead of, instead of feeling self-pity and, and resentment for his situation, he requests more prayer for God's mission. What would it look like for us to follow Paul as he follows Christ like that? Because that's what we need to do. We need to pray and ask God for more boldness and more strength as witnesses and martyrs who will gladly give their life up. For the sake of the gospel. Okay, so let's read the final four verses now of this beautiful, beautiful letter as we pray to land the plane in the Ephesians series. Here, here's these last four verses. Here we go. Verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to um, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Oh man, I love that I get to talk about these final remarks from Paul. They're often overlooked in most Ephesians series that churches do. We're not doing that today because after Paul speaks of his need for God's power to speak the word and to keep proclaiming the gospel truth and to keep that those Caligai shoes on and to keep those blades sharp so that he can stand firm in his foundation, right after he does all this, he ends with a particular reminder about his situation. 
And do you know what that is? You see, Paul was not only a theologian, missionary, church planner. Folks, Paul was a lover of people, specifically God's people. That's why he's always offering thanks, and he's always offering gratitude to people in his letters at the end, usually. Okay, so you have Tychicus invading the scene right here at the end of the letter. And, and, as, and he's coming in the role. He's invading this whole book of Ephesians. And, he, and his role, his char- the character he's playing, is one of Paul's beloved brothers in the family of God. And I want you to know that Tychicus served with Paul for a while. And, and there is this strong correlation and, and evidence historically that Tychicus is the one that delivered this letter specifically to the church in Ephesus. What incorruptible love from prison, right? Paul literally sends Tychicus to deliver this letter so that he could encourage believers in Ephesus, therefore encouraging us despite being under distress himself. That came for it from an incorruptible love for Christ in his life and for others despite his needs. His incorruptible love was so secure, so stable, and so um, available to him because he was like, man, there's nothing that can separate me from Christ or from the people of God. He did this under distress. And, and what incorruptible love from Tychicus, right? Like, for he was risking his own comfort. That's one of our models here at, Reach, uh, excuse me, at Redemption City Church, to risk our comfort. He's risking his comfort of being persecuted by delivering an offensive letter. According to the world powers at that time, Tychicus could have, could have lost his life if he was caught on the road delivering this letter. But he took that risk of his comfort for easier waters because of his incorruptible love for Jesus. He loved Jesus so much that he's like, absolutely, Father Paul, Apostle Paul, Commander Paul, Warrior Paul, it would be my joy to give up my life, to go through the difficult, dangerous terrains of taking this scroll and getting across multiple cities to the church of Ephesus. My life is worth it. I love with incorruptibleness Jesus Christ as Lord. And I love my brethren. I love my church. I'm spirit-filled. I'm fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time. I'm walking in unity. I'm walking in harmony. I'm walking in purity. I'm spirit-filled. I can do things I thought I couldn't do, like give up my own life. I can do things I didn't want to do, like giving up my own life. Give me the letter. Thank you, Father Paul. Thank you, Commander Paul. Love incorruptible. I'm armored up. And he got that letter to the church. In Ephesus, that, folks, that, that's legit. And, and right in the final two verses of this entire letter, Paul concludes by using the words that we lifted up at the beginning of this whole letter, namely grace and peace and faith and love. And it's important to mention that he uses love three times just within these three verses. And I believe Paul is doing that because he's emphasizing the unfathomable love of God. Oh man, throughout all the exhortations to walk like this and to walk like that, Paul is making sure that we understand it is all to flow out from God's love for us and our love for God. This love and faith and grace and peace, it all flows from God. He is the power source that makes this whole thing possible. And I want you to notice that Paul explicitly ends with the final mention of love. It's, it's on your screen. He mentions with the, the final mention of love being attributed specifically for Christ. Oh man, do you see that on the screen? 
grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Okay, so, so Paul is basically telling them, I know you accept God's great love. We've been accepting God's love throughout history, through the Old Testament. Hey, but now I'm asking you, do you love Christ? That's what Paul's saying. Do you love Christ specifically? Do you love Jesus? Have you truly turned from your sin and placed faith specifically on the name of Jesus? Do you love Jesus with an undying love that will carry you forward and onto eternity? Are you really, really ready to armor up, is what Paul's saying, because of your incorruptible love for Jesus, being a glad martyr and participant in the Christian war? Are you going to lay your life down for the Messiah? Are, are you doing your part as we follow Jesus to the cross. Do you believe, Paul's saying, in your destiny as a victorious standing Christian that Christ has proclaimed you to be before he ascended into the clouds? Are you motivated by a love that is so incorruptible for Jesus and others that you're excited, that you're excited about your life ahead of you. Because for years, folks, for years, I thought standing in victory and, and walking in victory mean, meant batting a thousand all the time and trying to be as perfect in my walk with Jesus as I could be. So I was discouraged and sometimes despondent. I'd get so upset with myself when I would struggle from time to time with my sin or just weak moments in my life or weak moments in my relationships. For But folks, if we never failed, if we never ever failed, we wouldn't need armor, right? That the fact that we're getting armor means we're going to have types of failure. A soldier only wears war because he knows there's going to be versions of failure that he's going to have in a war. He, he knows he's going to take on assault and pressure and darts, and he's going to get wounded. He's going to take on bruises. It's accepted as normal events of a battle. So, so there's a type of failure in this imperfect fight that we're going to experience. Stop letting Satan accuse you with that fiery dart. You're not going to be perfect in this war. But, but the armor's real purpose, focus, we're landing it here. The armor's real purpose is to make sure that you and me don't finally fail and lose our whole lives in these wars. And I'm talking about your spiritual life. So, so, so the armor of God represents an understanding radically that there will be failures of not being able to defend every attack that the enemy throws our way. But the armor of God also represents that there won't be categorical failure so that we don't lose our whole lives in this war. In other words, the armor of God protects us that even though we lose various momentary battles, we don't lose the war in the end because Christ has proclaimed that he wins in the end and we stand victorious in him. In other words, Satan drools and God rules. That is the end of the gospel. That is the end of the Bible. That's the end of Revelations. We stand victorious with Christ. Okay, so let me do this one more time as we end this Ephesians series. 
Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. So the next time you're engaged in a conversational war and you're in a battle with your spouse and you're in a battle with your children, you're in a battle with your workplace, or you're in a battle in your relationship, you're in a battle at church, the next time that you feel you're losing and you're taking on water and your relationships are falling and, and everything looks like it's breaking, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're saying. Stop what you're feeling. You got to armor up. You got to armor up. Just stand firm. Armor up and refuse to willingly accept more casualties in your life. Protect your family and armor up. Stand firm. Armor up. Repent. Quickly transition so you can get ready to win the next battle. Don't let a loss of one battle become 10 Get armored up because God promises you and me that if we do that, we're going to win infinitely more than we ever are going to lose, folks. And he, as our Lord and Savior and conquering King, is going to do the real work because he proclaims in the Gospels and he illustrates in Revelations that in due time, he's going to come back and he's going to come with swords and fire out of his mouth and he's going to destroy fully and finally all pain and all sin and all unrighteousness and all filthy talk and crude joking and impurities and covetousness and fighting and division and all harmony is going to be reestablished and unity is going to be secure and he's going to come and say the victory is won stand with me that is God's word and it's so simple and it's so productive and it's so redemptive and it's so freeing this is what it means to be free in Christ. This is what it means to stand victorious. And this is what it means to move from our story into God's story. This is the book of Ephesians. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have laid it all out for you, God. I've laid out all that you put in me in this text for your people. Lord, over a year and a half, I have set my candle and I've asked, what do you have for your people? What do you have for me? And Lord, I pray that this series has changed the course of just one person's life. Lord, if you one person walks out of the shadows into the light and just produces fruit, everywhere it would have been all worth it god i pray that this series would go forward beyond me and beyond redemption city church's reach and that it would be a safe place for people to meet you i pray that we would stand victorious that we would stand armored up that we would believe by faith that we have all that we need we are chosen we are adopted we are forgiven we are redeemed we are sealed we are forever wealthy god and we are armored up so help us to keep those shoes moving in the gospel of peace keep our mouths open 
Keep that belt of truth locked in place. We know who we are in you now. Oh, we thank you for the breastplate of righteousness, and we declare by faith daily to work on our righteousness, not from legalism, but from joy, radical joy. And we pray in your name for that shield of faith to just be a big bedroom door-like defense from all the tribes to tear us down and we thank you lord for the helmet of salvation we thank you guard our thoughts we struggle in our minds no more helmet of salvation armored up god oh god thank you for the sword of the spirit may we wield that offensive dagger in the moments we need it and may we allow others to do it for us when we're weakened and we thank you for our walkie-talkie may we use our walkie-talkie we get to talk to you may we not waste that gift we pray for our strength we pray for gospel boldness we pray with supplication for all saints and we pray that we move fully and finally into your story because it's better than ours it's it's in your beautiful name that we trust you amen i love you redemption city church stay armored up